Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome. Nice to see you. Please do pull out your message outline as uh, we're in this uh, series of messages called Thirst. We're in the second part of this series. Um, This is going to be a two-part series, but I've extended it. Um, I'd like to give you more for your money. Um, And the reason I've done that is because um, there's some more things that I think I want to share with you, more things that God would have me share as it relates to spiritual growth. And so um, this is going to be a four-week series now as we think about um, how do we sustain spiritual momentum? How do we keep growing in our faith? What do we need to do? And uh, this whole idea of this series called Thirst is really how we, how we uh, allow Jesus to quench our thirst, our, our spiritual thirst, perhaps. Now, I want to begin this morning by just asking a question. I wonder how you would answer this question. If you think about it, if you could have been around for any single event in the life of Jesus... What one would you choose? It's an interesting question if you think about it. Uh, I'm sure some of you would love to have been there on the day in Bethlehem when God became flesh and Jesus was born. Uh, there might be some of you who said, I-, I would actually love to have been there at that moment when, when Jesus stood outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he called him out uh, and he raised Lazarus back from the dead. What an amazing experience that would have been just to be there and to see that happening. Or maybe many of you would say, I would love to have been there on that early Sunday morning when Jesus, after dying on the cross, was raised from the dead. What an amazing experience. Uh, I know a number of you well enough to know that there are some of you who say, well, do you know what? I would like to have been there when Jesus turned water into wine. Man, that would have been a great glass of wine. I'd be very happy to have one of those. However, let me suggest to you another event that maybe would be a good one to choose to be part of the day, uh, to be a part of the day where Peter and James accompanied Jesus uh, and they sort of hiked up the top of a mountain. And in Matthew 17, when they got to the top of the mountain, something amazing happened to Jesus. We're told in verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. It says that Jesus was transfigured. And that word, if you go back to the original language, is the word metamorphosis. It means to change in form. In that moment, when Jesus was transfigured, his face, as we see there, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And for one brief moment, the glory of God, which had been contained by the flesh of Jesus, leaked out. What an unbelievable experience. And if that had not enough for someone like Peter to witness who saw this all, uh, the Bible says that out of heaven at that time appeared Elijah and Moses there in that scene. And then, even more so, even unbelievable, but it happens out of the cloud of comes a loud voice and it is God himself and he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Imagine that. Have you ever been in those moments that are so majestic that that you just have to soak it in? Well, this is one of those moments. But Peter, he has the kind of personality that he just can't be quiet, can he? I mean, he kind of sort of engages his mouth before his brain and he opens it and says things, doesn't he? And he has to say something. He can't contain himself. And so Peter, in all of his profound eloquence, he says, it's really good to be here. No kidding, Peter. (laughs) I mean, state the obvious. Talk about spiritual high, though. Imagine that for Peter and for John. Uh, It doesn't get any more spectacular than this. And then Peter turns to Jesus and he says, let's just stay here. 
this is so amazing, this is so incredible, let's just stay here. Look, I'll tell you what, Jesus, what I'll do is I will go and I will build a kind of makeshift, a makeshift shelter for, for the three of you. And wouldn't it be great if we just can kind of hang out here and just stay here because this is just so amazing. And I think that's just a great picture of those times when we've been on, on those spiritual highs. When we have those moments in our, in our relationship with God that we hit this spiritual high and it's just majestic, amazing. God showed up. And like Peter, we say, it's just good to be here. It's good to stay here. And our natural response is, I don't want to stop. I don't want to leave here. I want to stay here on this spiritual high. But the reality is, and I don't have to tell you this, but you know this, the reality is, is that you and I, we don't live on the mountaintop all the time, do we? Life is lived, well, life is lived down below, isn't it? With, with, with people and stress and pressures and that's where jobs are found. I mean, it's great to go to the mountaintop. It's great to have an amazing experience. That is wonderful. But the Bible says in, in the passage, after Peter says, let's stay here, Jesus. I'll build some makeshift shelters. Let's just stay. Jesus almost ignores what he says. And in the very next verse, it just says, they came down from the mountain. Now, we've had, many of us have had a great mountain experience in the uh, spiritual growth campaign that we did, the 40 Days in the Word. And now, perhaps, we're coming down. Or even if you've not been part of the 40 Days in the Word, um, you know from experience that you can have this mountaintop experience, this amazing spiritual time of growth and development, and then yet there's this, this coming down period. But, what, but we, we do want to sustain the momentum. Maybe in, that we started during those 40 days in the Word. However, what I want us to know is that there is a danger about which we need to be honest about. Some people's feelings and commitment only last as long as the emotion of the experience. And for some, when the feelings of a spiritual high begin to fade, sadly, so does their interest. And for others, when following gets hard or, or when a crisis hits or some unexplained circumstance comes, rather than go on, rather than in fact grow through it, they will choose to pick a seat on the sidelines. So let me see if I can get, help us get a picture in our minds this morning. I want you to imagine every person in this room this morning wearing running shorts. I mean, you know, uh, those little nylon running shorts. Now, it's not a pretty picture, is it? Let's be honest, if you're kind of imagining people sitting around you wearing those kind of running shorts. But, but imagine all of us standing together at the starting line and the gun goes off and with one big surge, we take off in a sprint. And you're feeling strong and your legs are turning, life is good, the wind is perhaps in your face and you're moving as fast as you can and, and everybody is going with you. What an amazing experience. But somewhere along the way, you're beginning to get exhausted and weary. Fatigue, probably about 100 yards for most of us, I guess. But, but your legs get heavy and, and your side hurts. And now it's not so much fun, is it? And, and some people have already dropped out. They've already quit. So do you push through? Do you go on in spite of the strain and the pain? Or, or do you say, you know, it, it just ain't worth it? And you pull out and you quit the race. See, during the 40 days in the World Spiritual Growth Campaign, uh, a lot of us have kick-started or re-kick-started our spiritual growth. And that's been wonderful to see. 
But as someone who's now walked with the law for more than, say, 46 years, I can tell you that the Christian life is not a 100-metre sprint. It is a long journey. And what I want us to focus on this morning is to explore what it means to sustain spiritual growth for the long haul. And to do that, I want to take a look at a group of people who were in, a, I guess, a very similar situation to ourselves uh, that we find ourselves in. We find them in the New Testament and in the book of Hebrews. Now, these first century Christians, they came from a Jewish background and they've met Christ and they got off to a great start, an amazing start. In fact, the writer uh, of this letter to the Hebrews, the writer at one point says to these Christians, hey, listen, don't ever forget those early days. Don't forget those early days when you first learned about Christ and how he impacted you. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrific suffering. It was really tough, but you remained faithful. He says, don't forget that. But now they were in danger of going back because, you see, they were considering walking away. Uh, Things had gotten really hard for them. Uh, There was pressure from the outside to go back and to embrace Judaism and to turn their back on Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews pleads with them not to go back. And it may be hard for us to really capture the emotion of this urging in Hebrews 12, but I want you to imagine that this is... This is, this is a pastor who is imploring these people. He is begging with them. He is saying, don't quit. Hold on. Keep on keeping on. Here's what he says, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honour beside God's throne in heaven. And I think this, this passage is a great template for how we can sustain healthy longevity in our walk with Christ. And seeing it very much that our spiritual life is a race, a marathon, something we want to finish well. So let's look at this together on your outline. First of all, if I'm to run a good race and to finish well, I will find strength from those who have gone before. Now the Bible is not just a history book, a record of all that has happened in the past. It is not meant simply just to be moral teachings that we admire and we respect. No, the Bible is written for us. Romans 15.4 says, even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. So these are words for us about how to endure, how to persevere, how to keep going in this race, this Christian life. And so when the writer starts off, he says, Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore, we are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And in order to really grasp what he's talking about, we have to go back. And he's pointing us back to chapter 11. And if you go through chapter 11, I encourage you to do that perhaps when you get home or at some point this week. But if you go back to chapter 11, it's sort of like, it's like the all-star team of Christianity. 
Because what it is, it contains a long list of some familiar names and some not so familiar names of people who had one thing in common. They had an unswerving faith and belief in God. They would never quit. They would not walk away from their commitment to follow God. Now, sometimes they were ridiculed for their beliefs. Sometimes they were mistreated. God called some of them to leave their families and go to a foreign land. Some of them paid ultimately the price of giving their lives to follow God. It says of them, though, that all of them in this list that are listed out in Hebrews 11, it says that they were still living by faith even when they died. They ran with endurance. And even when they died, they were still clinging to a firm commitment to follow God. Now, for for most of these courageous men and women, there was no outward visible reward for their faith in this life. In fact, just because they followed God didn't mean they were going to live a life of comfort or a life of prosperity. In fact, quite the contrary most times. Their faith often meant sacrifice. It often meant hardship. God thinks so highly of these people that he listed them in Hebrews 11 and he says of them, the world was not worthy of them. In other words, he's saying they were another standard in their faith and commitment and perseverance. And he says of all of those listed in Hebrews 11, there is this great crowd of witnesses that the life of faith is the only life worth living. That's why he points us back to Hebrews 11. He says, look, look at these guys. Look at these people. They lived the life of faith and they would say it was worth it, even though life was tough to be a follower of Christ. So when you feel yourself spiritually drifting, and we all have those moments, we all have those valley moments in our spiritual lives, when we feel like we perhaps are drifting, let me encourage you, read about the lives of these people who have gone before. For example, read about the passion of David in the Old Testament because David could testify it's worth it. And when you're fearful to obey God, read the story of Abraham and Isaac. They are witnesses to the life of faith and perseverance, that they trusted God and God came through for them. You know, the great people of faith, they're not just limited to Hebrews 11. You can read the biographies of great men and women of faith. For example, read church history. Man, you should read church history. I mean, go back to the time of, say, let's say the Reformation. Go back then where where the church was dead and corrupt, where there was uh, hypocrisy everywhere, where the Bible was no longer being taught. It was not in the right kind of languages that people would understand. And the Reformation happened and someone called this weird monk called Martin Luther stood up and nailed his 95-point thesis to the door of the cathedral door in Wittenberg in Germany. And he's, he, he started, as it were, the Reformation. And he was joined by people like John Calvin and others. And, and they stood firm. And yet it was difficult. Bring it back to the, England, and you have Cranmer and Latimer, who again stood firm, wobbled a bit, but ultimately stood firm, and ended up being martyred for their faith. Fast forward into the 18th century when God sent this amazing revival when again things were not right, there was problems in the world, there's problems in the UK particularly and God raises up people like John Wesley and George Whitfield who stood firm and preached the gospel and yet they were dreadfully persecuted. Sometimes they had to run for their lives where they were preaching Christ. But these people read their stories, 
you will be inspired as they lived normal lives and yet were faithful to God and God used them. And you may go, well, yeah, but that was back then. What about now? Well, let me take it a step further. If you want to grow in your faith and in your perseverance, hang around men and women that you know who have a passion for Christ. Who do you know that that when, when you're around them, your faith just begins to soar a little bit? They inspire you in some way, just the way in which they live out their lives. They are, they, are, they are growing. They have a passion for God. And as you're around them, your, your passion for God begins to heat up a little bit. Does a name come to mind? Who do you know has a strong passion for Christ? You know, if you want to stay on fire for God, you, you hang around those kinds of people. Get to know those kinds of people. Connect with those people. That's why life groups are really cool because you can hang around with a group of people and study the Bible together and you get the inspiration and you encourage. We encourage one another. So on your outline, what I've done after each point, I put a little kind of a question, a little statement and I want you to kind of think about these things. And the question really is, what person of faith and godliness can strengthen my walk? Uh, maybe you want to jot it down, maybe you've got a name that pops in your mind um, and I will encourage you, if you can't think of someone or you don't want to write a name yet, um, write these down as you go this week but maybe, maybe your name's come to your mind or maybe you just want to jot down some initials of someone. But, but who is it? Who is it that inspires you? Maybe it's someone in your life group. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone that you've known for many, many years. That when you're just around them, your faith expands. Maybe write a name or, or the initials of someone there. But hang around these kinds of people. Secondly, if I'm to finish well, I will need to put off that which trips me up. And there can be plenty of things that trip us up, so we need to remove them. I need to put off that which trips me up. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Now, in virtually every kind of athletic event, excess weight is not good. Unless you're a sumo wrestler, and then it's pretty good, actually, to be fair. But, you know, take, take the London Marathon, okay? I read about a man uh, who ran the London Marathon, and history recalls that it was the slowest marathon ever in history. Listen to this. Lloyd Scott finished in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes and 46 seconds. I mean, traffic was on the road after that. I mean, imagine that. But that's what he did. Now, the thing is, unlike other runners who were wearing running shorts, remember the picture, nylon running shorts? You're still picturing people around you, I know. But, but he, you know, he, he wasn't wearing that. No, 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 no. He was wearing a deep-sea diver's suit that weighed a total of 50 kilograms with each shoe, listen to this, each shoe weighing 11 kilograms and a heavy metal helmet. Now, he obviously did it as a fundraiser. He wasn't kind of just some crazy person who just fancied running like that. But, you know, it's a great picture, isn't it, of, of perhaps many of us in this race we call the Christian life. We're in the race, but actually we're weighted down. You see, in this verse, he says there are two kinds of things that we need to let go of that, that trips us up or slows us down. Number one, he says, let go of the ungodly. In other words, let go of sin. Now, one of the things that happens when, when I read my Bible 
is that, that I come face to face with my own feelings and my own shortcomings. And when I read scripture, often I see the darkness or the ugliness that is in me. Sometimes it's painful, but I know as I read the Bible, it is for ultimately my own good. And so he says here, let go of those things that you know know are wrong. Now, Now, some of us perhaps took some significant steps over the 40 days in the Word. However, some of us have also come under significant conviction. Maybe as we went through that workbook or, or we sat through a life group study or we came to the Sunday morning services, uh, the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit pointed out areas in our lives that weren't pleasing to the Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit is bringing it to our mind even now. We know it's wrong and we know it hinders our growth and yet we haven't let it go. Can I ask you this morning? Is there some area right now that the Holy Spirit is calling to your mind? See, those things, they will hinder your relationship with God. And the reason he says here to let them go is not to hold you back from life's pleasures, far from it. But he knows that those things, those wrong things, those sinful things, they will destroy you. So he says, let go of the ungodly. But he also talks about a second kind of weight, and that is, let go of the unnecessary. Now this one's a little more subtle, because it's not necessarily sin. It may not be a moral compromise, but but it just keeps us weighted down from our spiritual progress. It it could be something as simple, that, that your life is just so full, that you're so busy, you kind of just go 100 miles an hour every day, and there's just really no time or you have no energy left to pursue your relationship with Christ. You kind of fit him in on a Sunday morning and that's about it. You might pray at, you might say grace at mealtimes perhaps. It could be that by having, it could be another way, it could be that you have lots of interests or, or you're taking on too many work commitments and there's just no time for spiritual growth in your life. It, it could be hours wasted in front of the television or online or scrolling through social media. It's amazing, isn't it, as you scroll through social media that half an hour, an hour flies by. And part of what it means to persevere over the long haul is that you are ruthless. And I stress that word, that you are ruthless about getting rid of things in your life that weigh you down and distract you and steal the passion you had for Christ. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Notice that. He he gets rid of anything that is unnecessary. All, All the civilian affairs that distract him from being the kind of soldier that God wants him to be. So maybe fill in the next statement on your outline. In order to finish well, I need to let go of what? What is the weight that is holding you down? What is hindering your spiritual growth? What is it right now that God has brought to your mind that you know is slowing you down? As I said, it it could be a sin. It could be something that is not necessarily a sin. But it's getting in the way of your relationship, your spiritual growth. Maybe write that down. Thirdly, 
to run a good race, I will choose to persevere until I cross the finish line. Again, you, you may hopefully have picked up this passage in Hebrews 12 is really all about perseverance. Uh, notice here what it says in Hebrews 12. He says, let us run with endurance, or you could use the word perseverance. Let us run with endurance this race that God has set before us. Now, down through the ages, and it's no less true in our own generation, greatness has often been defined by the ability to persevere and to overcome obstacles, to keep on keeping on. Even when disappointments come, even when setbacks happen, we keep on persevering. For example... Let me give you some sort of kind of um, examples from, say, modern-day history. Did you know that there was a memo that came from uh, MGM, the film studios, shortly after Fred Astaire uh, took his screen test? And the memo that came out about him said this, he can't act, he's slightly bald, can dance a little bit. Well, we know how his career went, don't we? Walt Disney was once fired by a newspaper, listen to this, for a lack of ideas. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him, and here was their evaluation. He is too stupid to accomplish anything. Well, they weren't great, were they? Henry Ford, before he succeeded, failed, and he went broke five times. Beethoven handled the violin awkwardly, and his teacher called him hopeless as a composer. Albert Einstein performed so badly in school, except in maths, that his teachers encouraged his parents to pull him out of school. Isn't it interesting that these people overcame those obstacles? And in the race of life, God is far more interested in how we finish than how we begin. Everything in us and in our culture rebels against that statement. We want quick, convenient, instant, fast, efficient. Let's just get on with it, is our battle cry. And there's a great market for, for religious experiences in our world. But you know, there is little enthusiasm for the patient development of character and virtue, of slowly, day by day, walking with Christ. See, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. In fact, another translation puts it like this, it says, Be steadfast, be immovable, no matter what the hardship." So no matter how long the storm lasts, no matter how dark and scary things get, no matter what waves batter against your life, Paul would say to you, stay with it. Don't quit. Persevere. Endure. And you might go, well, what does Paul know? What does he know about this kind of stuff? Well, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, also wrote 2 Corinthians. And he knew all about perseverance and hardships. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians, I'll paraphrase it, but he writes a whole kind of monologue, a whole example of, from his own life. And he says, in effect, he says, look, I've been in prison. In fact, I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death time and again. Five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I mean, that's just unlucky once, but three times... I've had to constantly stay on the move because of being in danger in every city I went to. I've been deprived of sleep. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And yet Paul says, but I never gave up. I didn't quit. It was well worth it, he would say. It was well worth suffering for Christ. He didn't quit. 
In fact, none of those hardships had the power to make Paul quit. None of him put him off from pressing on and none of it quenched his passion for following Christ. Paul is saying to us in effect, look, make the decision in advance that you're going to be steadfast and immovable and you're going to keep going to keep on keeping on. You're going to, you're going to keep completing the work of the Lord no matter what hardship may come into your life that you're going to keep showing up and you're going to keep serving and you're going to keep proclaiming the gospel and you're going to keep going as long as the Lord gives you breath. That's what he says to us. Because there will be some hard days. There will be some valleys. There will be those times when God just seems so distant. feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and going no further. There will be those circumstances that you just can't explain. They don't make sense. Why is it happening to me? And Paul would say, don't quit. In fact, grow through it. Persevere, because actually he would say, that's when God does his work, his deep soul work. It's not in those times, it's not in those times that you need to decide that I'm going to follow or not. He says, decide in advance, decide now. So it's kind of a non-negotiable, it's kind of a given. Well, I won't quit, I've decided, so I'm not. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to keep going. And maybe for some of us in those moments when it's tough, we're just kind of holding on with our fingertips, but we ain't going to quit, because we've already decided. Do not turn back, keep pressing on. So let me ask you this third statement, maybe fill this out. Coming out of 40 days in the Word Spiritual Growth Campaign, I know God wants me to keep on what? What is it that God wants you to keep on doing? What is it that maybe you started? What is it that you perhaps began to do that you haven't done before? What is it that God laid upon your heart? What is that area that you need to persevere in? Maybe it's your Bible study. Maybe it's your commitment to make Sundays a a, a priority above everything else. Nothing else is going to get in the way of that. You made that commitment to to come to all the services, all the messages through 40 days in the Word, and now you're going to commit. Nothing else is going to get in the way of that. Maybe you joined a life group and you're going to commit to that. Maybe you started memorising verses and you're going to carry on doing that. Maybe it's a bit closer to home. Maybe you need to persevere in your marriage. Maybe you need to persevere in your relationship with your children. Deepen that relationship. Maybe it's friendships that you need to reignite or reconnect with people. What is it that you know that God wants you to keep on doing? What does that look like? Where do you need to persevere in your life? Where do you need to keep on? What area do you need to keep on pressing on? Fourthly, if I'm going to run the race well, I'm going to keep a single-minded focus. I'm going to keep... A single-minded focus. I use those words intentionally, this single-minded focus. Because you see, he says here in Hebrews 12 too, he says, we do this, all that he's already said, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Notice what he says here. He says, it's only when Jesus becomes the centrepiece of our focus that you will find strength to endure this marathon, this race called the Christian life. See, the point of things of the 40 Days uh, Spiritual Growth Campaign was so that you might come to love Jesus more. That's what it's all about. 
it was intended to point you to Jesus Christ. Now, it sounds really spiritual to say, keep your eyes on Jesus, but how do you actually do that? In my everyday life, what would that look like? How do I, how do I find the ability to focus on Jesus? Well, this much I know, it won't happen by accident. In fact, implicit in the word focus is this idea of concentration and intention, isn't it? And while life is a race, you cannot develop spiritual intimacy on the run. And the pace of life around us, well, it it just continues, doesn't it, to accelerate. And and we are addicted to speed, aren't we? I mean, we cram everything we can into every hour we have, some of us. We live in in that kind of hurry sickness that hinders our focus, always in a rush. And we've now moved into a generation where we embrace this thing called multitasking, which basically means we do nothing well because we just try to cover everything. And we live and we work in a society that moves faster and faster. Have you noticed that? It slowed way down during COVID, didn't it? But the, the acceleration is building up again, isn't it? In fact, we have this, this, this problem. We've, we've developed this, this hurried spirit. We don't like it when it's quiet and when it's silent. You see, the insatiable need for speed is setting us up for this monumental spiritual struggle because speed and hurry and activity drain our souls. Um, I read a book only recently. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's well worth reading, I'm telling you. It's a great book. And the whole idea of this book is is that we just live our lives so fast and we just need to slow ourselves down and focus on what is important. Because you see, when you study the life of Jesus, you discover that he was never in a hurry. I mean, he, he, had, he, he always had time for the Father. He always had time alone. In all the busyness that was going on and the crowds crowded in, all those people wanting him, he would just slip away and spend time with his Father. And there were carefully guarded moments where he just did that, where he could get alone and just be with his Father. Here's a truth I don't want you to miss. If you're going to keep your focus on Jesus, you will have to make some time to be alone in his presence. You have to make time for him. It won't happen by accident. It won't just happen. You must be intentional. To slow down long enough to hear him. Not just a kind of, as I said in the, in, in the, a couple of weeks ago, not just this kind of quick five-minute There you go, God, done a quick devotional, see you tomorrow. Slow down enough to allow him to speak to you. To hear God and know God, you must create space in your life. You must create those those margin moments in your day when you can be alone, undistracted in his presence. And you say, man, but my life is so busy, rubbish. You can find time for other things. Because you see, if you are intentional about that, those times will not only help you grow, but what they will do is they will replenish and they will nourish your soul. In fact, in Philippians 3 verse 8, Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. See what his focus was? Paul says there is nothing more important to me than pursuing a relationship with Christ. 
So let me ask you this fourth statement, fill this out. In order to stay single-minded, I will what? What do you need to do to create time to stay focused on Jesus? And as I said, you have to be intentional about this. You have to have a plan for this. Otherwise, it won't happen. You know, if you're a diary person, make a note, put it in. Make an appointment with Jesus every day. That's, it's, it's important to write these things down. And then fifthly, I will endure the suffering to see the smile of God. Again, Hebrews kind of picks up on the suffering. Hebrews 11 certainly does. And he picks it up in the first couple of cha- verses in Hebrews 12. Because he says in verse 2, he says... He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. You see, the writer of Hebrews uses Jesus as an example of someone who kept an eternal perspective. He looked past the suffering of the cross to the joy that would be his someday. He would be united with all those that he had redeemed. And he would be in the presence of his father. And the author seems to be saying that that on the other side of the finish line is the smiling heavenly father. And in this race called life, we need to frequently look up, lift our heads up and look ahead to the finish line. When life gets hard, when the race gets tiring, look up and you will see your heavenly father cheering you on. When you are committed, you see, to living a God-glorifying life, you can endure the difficulty and the pain that you know because you know that this life is not all there is. You know you were created for God's purpose. You know he's waiting for you at the finish line. See, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make our troubles seem like nothing. And sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? When you're going through a difficult time, you wonder, well, where's God in all this? Don't give up, Paul would say. Keep going. He says, keep one eye on heaven. Look past the obstacle to the finish line and the joy that will be yours. I mean, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 14, he says, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us to heaven keeps on. So the last statement to fill in is this. I'm able to endure the present because I know someday what? The pain will be gone. The relationship will be restored. I'll be with my father. What would you write there to help you persevere? I want to leave you one final thought before we close. In the sixth chapter of the book of John, we read a miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, in fact. It's the story of Jesus feeding the multitude. In fact, the Bible says there were 5,000 men there, not counting women and children. And on that day, Jesus, what he did is he took a little boy's kind of packed lunch of five small barley loaves and two small fish. He blessed it and he began to pass it out and multiplied it again and again and again. And the Bible says that everybody ate, everybody was completely full up. Now the Bible says the next day the crowd tracked Jesus down and they said, do another miracle for us, Jesus. And Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, said to them, the only reason you are seeking me is because yesterday I fed you. He goes on to tell them that life is more about just food and physical provision and blessings. He goes on and teaches them about life, eternal life. He talks about, obviously preaches the gospel. And then when he's done, a lot of those gathered around him, they concluded and they said this, 
This is a hard teaching. And in verse 66, where there are some very tragic words, we read, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And, all the, and as these people turn and they walk and they go back to living for the here and now, Jesus looks at his 12 disciples, the closest to him, and he says to them, are you guys going to leave too? And I love Peter's response. You know, Peter gauges his mouth before his brain, Peter. And he looks at Jesus and he says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, he got it right that day, didn't he? I believe that all followers of Christ, there comes a day and a point of life where every person who follows Christ needs to drive a stake down in the ground. Some will walk away and you will be let down in life and sometimes life will become overwhelming. But at some point you have to step up and say, I'm casting my lot. I have made my choice. With this one and only life, I am following Jesus Christ. And I'll stay at it until I reach the finish line. And I'm not following him because of the blessings. And I'm not following because he fed us. I'm not following because I think it's the formula for the good life. I follow Jesus because he is who he says he is. And where else would I go? Because he alone had the words of eternal life. And like Peter, we would say, I believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? See, I hope you walk away this morning having decided that no matter what, it co- no matter what comes your way, you have made up your mind that you will follow. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews gives us one more reminder in verse 3. He says, So keep your mind on Jesus, who put up with many insults from sinners. Then you won't get discouraged and give up. Let's pray. And Lord God, I pray for every person who is in this room this morning or watching online. Help us not to give up. Help us to do what it takes to stay close to you. And when the feelings fade and the emotions go, Lord, let us stand firm on our commitment because it's, it's so worth it. Lord, we want to persevere to the finish line. And we know that's what you want. We know that's what makes you happy. And we live for that day when we will be with you and you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. May that be true of all of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.